Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention to to look at your word, to hear what you have to say to us today, we ask that it would be your Holy Spirit that speaks, that you would touch us as, as would result in your glory, that we would see Jesus, that we would be your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text this morning is Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. A few months ago, we started our journey with the Ephesians church from the time it began, and then through its early years, very dynamic years, as recorded in the book of Acts, this journey has led us to the letter Paul wrote to the church from prison in Rome about nine years after the church's founding. We've covered a ton of stuff. Our hope has been to learn from our brothers and sisters in Ephesus so that we will not make the same mistake they made that led to the Lord Jesus himself addressing a letter to them in the revelation he gave to John in which Jesus rebuked the Ephesian church because while they were seemingly doing everything right and saying everything right, they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten him. In the last message, I honed in on one, one thing Paul said in chapter 3, which had they truly held on to, they would never have ended up where they did. That was the love of Christ. Yes, it, it's the love that we have for Christ, but more importantly, it is the love that he has for us. Let me read that section again. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, just to keep it in your mind. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We always need to remember the love of Christ. Well, today we are going to take a bit of a diversion from our series to look at something that in many ways 
is one of those learning moments that God gives us. And I think you know what I mean by a learning moment. If you're at work and you do something wrong, make an error, and whatever it is, and your supervisor comes along and helps you learn from that mistake. Or when a kid breaks something and you use the experience to teach them something. Or if you're watching a movie with your spouse and, and something hits you in the movie and you put it on hold and you talk about it. Those are, those are the learning moments. Well, well we have been given a, a learning moment and, and I've been compelled to address it. Next week we will pick up with the same text and that I just read um, and address unity within the body of Christ, which is ultimately actually connected to what we're going to be looking at today. Last week, at the beginning of the service, some of, most of you were here, some of you weren't, we, we witnessed Rob Vandeway, our Christian brother, the husband of Koba and the father and grandfather of children and grandchildren that we know and love, who had been an elder of this church for many years during some very tough times and during some very good times, who had been generous in his support of the work of the Lord, who had written a powerful apologetics book on reasons to believe in Christ, and it had impacted many people. Um, he traveled and spoke in the name of the Lord and even preached from this pulpit a number of times, sharing his testimony about how God had called him out of darkness into the light. And I could go on. Rob stood here and confessed his sin of unfaithfulness to his wife, his sins against God, his wife, his kids, and even us. He also asked us for prayers and for our forgiveness. My guess is that those of you who have been believers for many years can count on one hand the number of times that you have witnessed something like that. Candidly, it wouldn't surprise me if for some of you, that is your first finger. Sadly, if you want to count all the times when you have seen people fall away into sin and not return, not repent, not seek biblical reconciliation, you would probably need both hands and maybe even your toes. We saw something special last week. One of the things that we all missed last week, and only because we won't get to witness it until we get to glory, is that while Rob was standing here repenting before us, at least according to Jesus' words in Luke 15, 10, a bunch of angels were rejoicing in heaven. And candidly, that would be kind of fun to watch and see, and we, we will get to see that one of these days. Something special happened last week, and, and that has led to this learning moment. I've had a number of conversations with a number of people following Rob's statement of repentance, and candidly, even before that. And before I go into today's message, I, I want to make something clear. It is never my goal to preach a sermon directed at one person. But it's possible that you might think that today. In fact, if I were sitting in one of those chairs and someone else came up here and read the sermon, 
I would probably feel like that preacher is preaching at me. My intent is not to be passive-aggressive or to use this as a bully pulpit. However, if this message or the scriptures that are read or the Holy Spirit or the conscience that God gave each of us does convict you of something, please listen, learn, confess, and then receive the grace of God. A grace that not only provides for forgiveness of our sins and for our shortcomings, but also empowers us to get up and go forth and sin no more. The first thing I want to address is this whole issue of repentance. It seems that we in America have so messed up this idea of repentance that we've actually gotten to where it seems we now only say we are sorry so we can quickly get back on our horse and pretend nothing happened. Or so our poll numbers will go back up. Or so that people will start buying our product again. The advice of the pundits is, say you're sorry fast, first, as soon as you can, before things get out of control. Being honest about it, though, is almost ir irrelevant. What matters is getting it out there to convince people, regardless of what you really think, and, and then hope people will smile or forget or empathize and then you can go on as if nothing ever happened. Whether you mean it doesn't really matter. Whether it looks like you mean it, that's what matters. You can almost hear the campaign managers and consultants encouraging the politicians or sales manager or the person who really blew it to, to, to force out a tear and then, and then reminding the person, making the apology that, okay, once we get through this, we can get back to our agenda, which is clearly more important than character or truth or values or the damage that you've done. We can get back to our message. Folks, that's not repentance. True repentance, for my hypothetical politician, for example, would be, yes, I have lied, and lying is wrong, and I will do whatever I can do to never lie again, and and you can hold me accountable for my past lies and help me never lie again. And the next line is not, now please vote for me. <laughs> it is getting off the stage and doing the hard work of repairing the damage done by your sin. That is repentance. And that does not happen very much. Repentance is from the heart and does not expect a result or response from the hearer. Doesn't expect them to vote for us. There is nothing, there, nonetheless, you know, while they don't, you shouldn't expect anything when you repent, there is a, a sincere desire that the person hearing your statement of repentance knows that you truly are remorseful. And that you really have stopped doing what you were doing. And that you will do your best to never do it again. And you are going, going to and be willing to bear 
the consequences of your behavior. That is true repentance. And that kind of repentance is necessary for all of us. In fact, confessing our sins, which is really the articulation of our repentance, is the path to healing. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Repentance is necessary for health, for healing. The corollary to this, of course, is that not repenting, not confessing, is unhealthy, is not good. In fact, not repenting and, and not confessing sin can be so serious that it can even lead to the church of God, Christ's body on earth, turning someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, as was addressed of the unrepentant sinner in 1 Corinthians 5. That is bad. The goal of that action, the turning of the unrepentant brother or sister over to Satan, is, as the end of the verse says, that the person's spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. But make no mistake, unrepented and ongoing sin has dire consequences. And repentance must be real. We, we heard someone voice real repentance last week. And here is the learning moment. What do you need to repent of? The second thing I want to address today is forgiveness. I grew up with the shake hands and makeup approach to forgiveness. If I was the one that had been wronged, that never quite seemed fair. A, a forced sorry just didn't cut it. And, and if I was the one who did the wrong, I kind of felt like I got off easy. Whatever the case, that approach of shake hands and makeup has nothing to do with real forgiveness. My guess is that most of you, if not all of you, have heard prior sermons on forgiveness. In fact, last week, Scott's message, he even touched on how unforgiveness and unrepentance can prevent you from experiencing grace and, and peace. What, what I want to look at today, related to forgiveness, is something the Lord taught us to pray that we, in fact, just prayed a, a few minutes ago. And, and it is this petition in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Now, this is an easy, easy one to misunderstand. For instance, and I've meant it this way, maybe you've meant it, what we are not asking when we pray, forgive us as we forgive others. We are not asking, help me forgive as you have forgiven me. In fact, in fact, help me to forgive as you forgave me is actually a very good prayer and, and one we should pray all the time, even though it's an impossible prayer for God to answer. Because when you think about it, 
There is nothing remotely equivalent that we can ever forgive anyone of that's remotely similar to what God has forgiven us of. So that prayer of forgive me, uh, help me to forgive as you forgave me, is really kind of an impossible prayer for God to answer. Yet God understands, and we should continue to pray, help me forgive others as you have forgiven us. In fact, that is what should be our natural response when we realize that he has forgiven us. But that's not what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. And he definitely did not teach us to pray, forgive me and please look the other way related to my grudges that I'm holding. That too is how too often we might mean it. And if you doubt that, we just have to look into our own hearts and see if our hearts and our actions are indicators of whether we prayed it correctly. Jesus told us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive others. And, and, and think about that. We are literally asking God to only forgive us like we forgive others. If God answers our petition as prayed, it will mean that if I forgive those who have sinned against me a lot, then God will forgive me a lot. And if I forgive them a little, God will only forgive me a little. Do you hear that distinction? Certainly the Lord is reminding us that we can go to him and ask for forgiveness, and hence he teaches us to ask for it. But he is also reminding us that one of the biggest obstacles for our experiencing forgiveness from God for our sins which are way more substantial than anyone else's sins against us, one of the biggest obstacles can be unforgiveness in our own hearts. And lest you think that I'm making too much of this and thinking to yourself, isn't that a little harsh or a little overboard? The, the, the scriptures actually answer that, that uh, objection. In fact, the verses immediately after the Lord's Prayer it's almost as if you can hear the reader's objection to this particular part of that prayer. In the verses immediately after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes his only recorded comments directly on the Lord's Prayer. And it is not about giving us bread. It is not about praising his holiness. It is not about deliver us, uh, deliver us from temptation or evil. It's about this forgiving others stuff. Hear what Matthew records Jesus saying immediately after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Brothers and sisters, this, this forgiveness of others stuff is really serious. Yes, we need to repent. And yes, we need to ask God to forgive us. But we also need to forgive others. 
Does this mean writing off all the wrong that was done to you as if it never happened? Well, yes, no, no, it depends. And candidly, that's a whole nother conversation. But what it definitely means is that we need to turn our affections around for the person we have forgiven in the same way that God has turned his affections around for us. Previously, we were objects of complete wrath by a just God. And after he forgave us, we are his beloved children whom he only sees the righteousness of Christ in. For us, the person may need to stay in jail or stay away, but forgiving them means you will no longer hate them. You will no longer hold that grudge. Instead, you will, because you have first been forgiven, you will actually want the best for them. Anything less than that will be your own limiting of the measure of God's forgiveness of you. Am I saying that we need to forgive Rob? Yes. But that, that's, not, that's not the learning moment. Because if he is the only one in your life you need to forgive, you are the lucky one. What I am really saying is we need to forgive others who have sinned against us, period. All of them. Including those for whom you know you have an unforgiving heart. Including those who screwed up your image of the church of God. Holding on to any unforgiveness will only prevent you from experiencing the complete joy and freedom that comes with knowing that you are completely forgiven by God, which is something you really want to know and bathe yourself in. And here's some advice. If you want help forgiving someone so God will forgive you as you forgive others, think about what you have been forgiven of by God. That will help. And I know it's circular reasoning, but that's just the way it is. One more observation about forgiving others. While repentance and forgiveness are closely tied together, you need to remember that when it comes down to it, the repentance part is up to the other person, not up to us. What is up to us is the forgiveness part. One certainly has to repent to experience true forgiveness. But forgiving others, forgiving others can be done even if there isn't repentance. It really, it really depends how much you want to be forgiven by God, at least according to what is taught in the Lord's Prayer. The third learning moment or learning observation is, is really related to follow through. Well, while I've briefly addressed the, the repercussions of unforgiveness and unrepentance, we, we're also told to be wise. False 
or incomplete forgiveness and repentance are real things. We can find evidence of this just by looking into our own hearts. That said, while we are told to repent and forgive, we are not supposed to be stupid. We need to know that when a wolf says he is sorry for eating your lambs, you probably should not take his repentance seriously, particularly if he is a repeat lamb eater or if he still has a fork in his hand. It simply would be foolish to put the lambs near a demonstrably false repentant wolf or wolves who you have not yet learned to trust. On the other hand, if a good dog bites the lamb, or better yet, if your brother or sister or son or spouse or child or friend has sinned against you and has had their learning moment and truly repents, that is different. Not only will you almost certainly know if their repentance is real, Hopefully, they're not a wolf, but instead they're your brother or sister in Christ. They're somebody that Christ died for. They're somebody that you want to know Jesus. Still, you would be wise to keep an eye on the situation, at least until you believe that they really have learned. But that does not mean that it all goes back to normal. And Rob stated that last week when he said it's easy to break things, but it takes a long time to put things back together. There is follow-through and there's accountability that comes with repentance and forgiveness. And that's why we need the church. You've probably heard the, the phrase, trust but verify. It's a Russian proverb made popular by Ronald Reagan, and it is the, the wise response to someone who repents. But candidly, within the church, that's the easy part. The hard part is what comes next. Do you remember the, the parable of the two sons? One said he was going to go do what the father asked him to do and didn't. And the other said he was going to, not going to do it, and he did. Sometimes we are the initially disobedient children. Sometimes we initially refuse to do what the Lord wants us to do. In fact, coming here the first time was a case for me. And we head off in opposite directions and then come to our senses and return to the Lord. And sometimes we are the initially obedient children who lose our way. For instance, Rob, who prays God, has come home. Or sometimes it's us when we say we want to walk in the steps of Jesus and obey Him. And then when we are given a chance to do what the Lord wants us to do, perhaps forgive and pray for and seek the best for a brother or sister who has hurt us, we, we go in the other direction. Which of us has not behaved like both sons? What would have happened if there had been a third child? 
or a bunch of siblings, or maybe even a church full of them, and we walked beside each other with our siblings who, who head off in the wrong direction and, and try to help them and call them home sooner, with our sibling who heads off in the right direction, and we are with them, helping them stay on the path, and when they do mess up, we're calling them home as they head off in the wrong direction. We, the church, fellow children of the same father, need to come alongside each other and go with each other and go with the one headed in the wrong direction and call him home and walk with the good child and help him stay on the path. We are, after all, as the text says, one body with one father of us all. And we experience this by being involved with each other, not removed from each other. And we do this by truly praying for each other. And we do this by repenting and forgiving each other and for asking for forgiveness. We do this by trusting and verifying. And we do this by walking with each other to help each other from turning aside, by calling each other back when we go astray, and by building each other up when we've made a real mess of things and we come home. And you know what the result of all this is? This, this true repentance, this forgiving and receiving forgiveness, this following through and walking with each other and helping each other? It is the glory of God. It is us, His people, being His people, His church, reflecting Christ to the world, letting them see the good way, the healing way, the God way. And not only will we be better off as individuals and as a local community, but so will the world. We are the salt. This is an opportunity. When we're given a learning moment, it's our chance to be the salt in the world, to be the light in a world that knows nothing of the value of true repentance or true forgiveness. It's a chance for them to see and to ask why and ask, how do you do that? And the answer is the same. It is because of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. My brothers and sisters, we have been given a learning moment and we need to take advantage of it. So, what do you need to repent of? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Or on the uh, follow-through or living this stuff out as the church side of the issue, how can you walk alongside a brother or sister today to help them from getting waylaid or to call them back to the path from heading off in the wrong direction? And how can we build each other up when we do come home? Remember what I said at the beginning. Um, if any of this resonates with you, learn. Confess. And receive the grace of God. A grace that not only provides for forgiveness of sins and for our shortcomings, but also empowers us to get up and go forth 
and endeavor to sin no more. Let us learn from what we've witnessed. And let us be who we are supposed to be for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how fortunate we are to be able to come before you and confess our sins. Father, we ask that you would forgive us our sins. And we do ask that you would help us forgive others. Lord, we ask that you would help us be your people to walk alongside each other to truly demonstrate what it means to be your body to the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.